This is the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Podcast, sponsored by Bemidji State University and Northwest Technical College. The Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Podcast is also sponsored by Visit Bemidji and Grant Haven Campground. Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors covers the lakes, woods, trails, wildlife, and anything else going on outdoors in Paul Bunyan's playground. The first... If you love the outdoors and are looking for ways to align your education with future employment in the trades, Northwest Technical College in Bemidji is for you. Explore state-of-the-art technical education in six career paths, automotive, building trades, business, health, child care, and manufacturing technology, all in the heart of Minnesota's Northwoods, surrounded by more than 400 lakes and, of course, limitless forests. The shortest path to your dream job and a good bite is at NTC, Bemidji's Technical College. Learn more today. Visit ntcmn.edu. If I had a bar for every time my line got stuck, well, then I'd probably have enough for a brand new pickup truck. And I'm probably going to need it. But luck is going to change. I can feel it. I got a secret weapon on the radio. Kevin always tells me where the fish is done. Paul Bunyan. It's not musky season, but that's so dang funny I had to play it. Well, it is time to continue to look at the gems of Paul Bunyan Country and one of the biggest lakes in Paul Bunyan Country, if you count the Canadian side, probably is the biggest, is Lake of the Woods. Phil Talmadge has the details on Lake of the Woods and more with Nate Blazing of the Walleye Alliance as he talks about some of their legislative goals. It's all coming up next. Hi, this is Dick Beardsley, Bemidji Area Fishing Guide. I'd like to invite you to come to our beautiful town of Bemidji. We've got over 400 lakes in our area teeming with walleye, pike, muskie, bass, and panfish. We're the gateway to the Chippewa National Forest. We've got miles upon miles of biking and hiking trails. Paul Bunyan and Babe the Blue Ox. Fine shops and eateries in downtown Bemidji. Headwaters of the mighty Mississippi at Itasca State Park. Beautiful resorts, hotels, and bed and breakfasts. Visit Bemidji one step further. Well, spring is upon us, and uh, that means it's time to see what's going on in some of the gems of Paul Bunyan country. One of those gems that we talk about every year is uh, Lake of the Woods. And once again, Phil Talmadge, who heads up the uh, Bidette Area Fisheries Office, joins us. Phil, welcome back to the show. Hey, thanks, Kevin. I appreciate it. Always, always nice to be here with you. Well, we're definitely going to talk a lot of Lake of the Woods, but, you know, um, that seems to be the only thing we talk about with you most of the time. But give us a rundown of what the entire Bidette area consists of. There's more to it than just Lake of the Woods, I'm sure. Oh, yeah. There's definitely more to it than just Lake of the Woods. You know, we so we have the uh, parts, uh, well, the seven northwestern counties in the state. So our our area starts at the on the Rainy River, actually, in Kuchichin County, uh, at the Long Sioux Rapids, kind of over by Birchdale, just upstream of Birchdale there. And then we go all the way over to the North Dakota border and then south down to Fargo. 
or Grand Forks, excuse me, and then kind of trace it back up. But we do not have, uh, we kind of go around Red Lake. That's part of the Bemidji management area. So we have the, the Lake of the Woods, obviously, Rainy River, Roseville River, uh, Red River of the North. We also have some of the popular, you know, reservoirs in like, like Lake Bronson in mm-hmm. northwestern Minnesota. And, and, and then we have some municipal waters that we manage too, like the, the reservoir in Thief River Falls right in town there. Wow. So there's there's a lot to it. Red River itself, you know, uh, is a very popular area uh, for channel cats. And, and I know that there's a whole bunch of uh, uh, waters in your area that you're, you're they're trying to expand sturgeon into. So you've got a lot of projects beyond Lake of the Woods. Oh, yeah. There's no shortage of, uh, of work to be done. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of nice having that, that diversity of projects and work to do. And, uh, you know, it's challenging and it keeps everybody on their toes a little bit and Kind of nice to you know makes things go. You kind of you kind of keep, it keeps everything flowing. Nice having having that kind of diversity of work. Absolutely. Well, we'll we'll get into Lake of the Woods uh, in in just a short order. But you mentioned Rainy River, and certainly uh, the early part of the fishing season, Rainy River is a magnet for anglers all over the state of Minnesota. It's the one place you can go do some soft water walleye fishing for a few weeks, catch and release, of course, but big ones. And and of course sturgeon fishing, right? Yeah, it's a it get, it can be some of the busiest time in in the, on the rainy river side of things, and uh, right in town here in Bedette is you know this time of year in the spring, um, you know whether it be walleye fishing or sturgeon fishing, it, they're both equally as popular almost in the river in the spring. And you know this year here we had, the river opened up a little later than it has in recent years. You know, and uh, progress progress downward or downstream, uh, you know, slowly. But you know, anglers are still getting in some. Some they're going to get some. Uh, they got ended up getting a week or so of uh, good fishing in at the towards the end of the spring walleye fishery. Well, I know people just uh, they love doing it. They they just flat out love uh, getting out there and and bending the line and and the size of the walleyes they get to catch early in the season is an awful lot of fun. Right. Yeah. Those are, those are, most of those fish are pre-spawn walleyes, mm-hmm. uh, moving up into the river from Lake of the Woods. So, uh, you know, and we actually do an assessment on those fish and, uh, in the spring. And, uh, that's one of our monitoring tools that we use, uh, for the adult population. But yeah, there's a lot of big fish in the river and, you know, it's, a, it's the only game in town. You know, <laughs> the, you can't, there's not a lot of other things going on besides turkey hunting at that time of the year. And I guess actually that's even a little early for turkey hunting. So there's not a lot of other things going on. So it's an opportunity for people to get out and enjoy the great outdoors. And we've talked about this over the course of the last several years, how popular sturgeon fishing has become. Uh, it is uh, it is getting more and more popular every year. And, and certainly it starts on the rainy this time of year, but they will expand into Lake of the Woods as, as that opens up. Right. Yep. Exactly. Yeah. They start. They get out there as soon as they can, and uh, you know, there's some pretty avid sturgeon anglers out there. Even, uh, you know, there's a fair number of people out there fishing for them in the spring when when walleye season's still open. There's still a lot of people out sturgeon fishing, and you know, part of it might be if they aren't catching the walleyes or the river dirties up, uh, uh, they decide to switch over and go for some sturgeon. And you know, that sturgeon fishing, you know, even from from when the ice goes out right up until the the fishing opener, it's pretty pretty busy with sturgeon anglers and i would suggest to anybody who's never sturgeon fished before and, and, and thinking they want to give it a try uh, get yourself a copy of the book or at least get on the website and understand the rules and regs because it's pretty complicated when you can catch and release when you can keep what you can keep it's a fairly complicated season 
yeah, it's a little. It's, but if you're going to harvest the fish, you know, I mean, it, it, it's it, it's a it's an older it's an older species, you know. So it's uh, uh, I, I elevated even above the level of a of a deer, for example, as far as it's, it's big game. So mm-hmm. there there's always a few more, you know, things that we got to pay attention to when that's the case. So um, you know, as far as the catch and release part of it goes, though, it's it's pretty straightforward that side of it. You don't need a tag if you're going to just catch and release and. You know, we have the closed season from May 16th to June 30th. If anglers are are going to, uh, the rest, the entire rest of the year, they're welcome to catch and release fish for them. And, and I would say that much like musky anglers, I'm guessing the vast majority of people are catch and release anglers for sturgeon. Yeah, it really is. Um, you know, we 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 actually last year, and I think it probably had more to do with just more people participating in it with the coat with everything going on with COVID. We had a record sales of harvest tags, but we didn't see that. We didn't see a in a, a jump in the heart number of fish harvested. Okay. So um, I, I think a lot of people are out there. They're doing it just for the catch and, and release part of it. And it seems like our, our license sales is for the harvest tag is kind of plateaued and you know just kind of sitting up there around around four thousand per year. But uh, we only see about ten to twelve percent of those tags filled on on any given year. So how is the sturgeon numbers holding up as far as you can tell? Yeah, so we do monitor them pretty closely. And, uh, you know, that's kind of the responsibility of uh, monitoring or, you know, allowing harvest and allowing people to recreate with a fishery that's actually still recovering, believe it or not. Um, And and we're seeing a lot of, we've watched that fishery grow, not just in in numbers, but in the size structure of it. We, you know, in, 19, in the 1990, early 1990s, if you caught a 40-inch long sturgeon, you made the front front page of the newspaper. Now people don't even bring them in the boat. They just uh, shake them off the line and get back to it because they're out there, you know, hoping for that big 70-inch or so. Um, we've watched it. We've watched it grow in both numbers and size structure, and we're really happy with what we're seeing going on. And you know, it, it truly is a success story from a lot of facets. Uh, you know, the improved habitat and water quality and you know, is what really was what really triggered the comeback of it. You know, from the years of being knocked down from, you know, commercial harvest and poor water quality. They do call them dinosaurs because they seem to hail from that era. But I mean, the average sturgeon in the lake right now—how old would that fish be? <laughs> uh, I I wouldn't be able to even answer that. But I mean, you know, so so those forty-inch, you know, so yeah, so once they once they reach maturity. You know, which is which for for females is in their early twenties, and for males a little bit less than that. But once they re- reach their their early their maturity, their growth changes or slows down quite a bit for them for most of them. Okay. And so, it, I mean, I've seen I, you know we've seen really old fish that are only fifty years old, and we've seen you know comparatively sixty five inch long fish that aren't that are surprisingly younger than what you'd expect. So there's so much variability that it'd really be hard. But what we do know is, you know, what we're, what we, those big, a lot of those really big fish that are out there right now, those are fish, a lot of those fish were probably produced 50 years ago okay. or more, wow. uh, you know, in the late sixties <laughs> and early seventies when clean water legislation kind of started allowing the species to really start its recovery. Wow. They're, they're like my age. Um. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> So, yeah, so you know, I mean, you can, you know, you can, in the amount of time it takes to, you know, raise a sturgeon to a harvestable length, you know, say twenty-five years. I mean, you know, 
I mean, you know, kind of putting it on the perspective of comparing it to big game, if it takes you 25 years to raise a harvestable sturgeon, uh, I mean, yeah, you know, it, a deer, a white-tailed deer, we put them on the wall when they're four years old and we <laughs> shoot a nice buck, you know. Right. That's a, that's a valid point. That's, that's really, wow. So, you know, uh, these efforts that are going on, you know, in some of the other uh, waterways that in the area, um, it's going to be a while before it, it can get to the what you hope it is someday. Yeah, you know, we have a, we've worked we've worked with our counterparts in Ontario, and we've kind of mo- trying to model this after some fisheries that are are out there in the in the Upper Midwest, uh, and we're trying to get the you know we have our population goals set around what those fisheries look like or that fishery looks like. So you know, we have some goals that are based on on seeing certain ages and of fish certain densities of younger fish in, in the in the river, for example, is another one that we're looking for. Um, you know, and we've spent a lot of time, and we may end up refining some of these goals. Our off, out of our office, we've spent a lot of time uh, working working on sturgeon. Uh, you know, we've got some pretty pretty neat stuff with mapping certain uh, habitats that are used by juvenile fish and densities and, uh, you know, what kind of flows they prefer and where they're hanging out. So, you know, we're out there getting that information and learning about the species so that, you know, as, as permits or as people ask, you know, what's the best way for us to discharge water out of this dam or, you know, what's best for the sturgeon, we're actually going to be able to make answer those questions. Cool. Well, let's take a look at the Lake of the Woods overall. Uh, the last number of years we've talked, Phil, it's always been pretty to really good news. Um, what's happening this year? Yeah, so I mean, uh, you know, this year here we we have a we have, well, we have we're going to have a busy year on Lake of the Woods this year uh, from our fishery standpoint. We do have a creel survey that'll be starting up here this this spring. So um, we it's been a it's been a few years since we've had harvest information from the summer fishery. Um, you know, our, our right now right now Lake of the Woods our, our our walleye abundance is just about kind of about right where we <clears throat> right about where our management goal is. So. Um, but that said, we have a couple weaker year classes that are right in that kind of harvestable size range that you know people people expect to see. But we also have some really strong year classes coming up, so we're anticipating watching the numbers of walleyes uh, actually increase over the next few years. Uh, Sauger numbers they're they're at historically high levels right now, um, so there's a lot of fish out there, and uh, you know. I, I anticipate people having a pretty good uh, season out there on Lake of the Woods. Any uh, ideas on what, why why we had that uh, tough uh, year class, or just one of those things? Yeah, you know, so we had two year classes that that were that, are, that were very weak, and that was 2017 and 19. Um, and, and you know, nat- having 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 weak year classes, you know, is natural. Um, and, and most often, it's driven by something to do with the weather. You know, maybe I, I, I we had, it's hard to say what what happened in those particular years, but you know, we can have years where maybe the weather, maybe it's warmed up, they started spawning, and then it cooled way down right away, and uh, you know, eggs weren't making it. The other part of it is, is when you come in off from strong year classes, a whole bunch of strong, a few strong year classes in a row, you anticipate some, you know, that those those fish were those strong year classes were knocking down the forage a little bit, and that lead making it so. There's not as much available resources for those younger fish, so sure. it, it can be a lot of different things. I mean, ironically, um, you know, I think it has something more to do with the timing of the spring. The reason I say that is, is because 
both 2017 and 19 ended up being really strong year classes for Sauger. So that tells me that there was actually a fair amount of forage still out there. And so the Sauger who spawned later than the walleyes, they were able to have better better uh, environmental conditions uh, during their hatch. Okay. What about the drought last year? How hard did that hit your lake? You know, we, we didn't see it. I mean, you know, we, we didn't really see it impact the, the lake per se as much as uh, I would say the Rainy River. Mm. You know, we have had, it's not that we had fish kills or anything like that, but, you know, in, in my 20 years of being here, it, I've, I've actually never seen the, the Rainy River as low as it was. I mean, there were, there were, last summer there were times, I mean, it looked like you could have walked across the river. I mean, <laughs> you'd had to jump over a, a small spot where, the, you know, where there was flow yeah. was, in certain spots. It was, it was unreal. So, um, you know, hopefully we get back to having some, some, a little more flow going down the river and, uh, also making it so the landscape in general is not quite so dry. At some of the lakes here, it was just so low on the shorelines. It was awfully tough and rivers, same thing. But you, you do have a little bit of water to give on Lake of the Woods. Yeah. Yeah. We do have a little water to give. And plus we also have a, you know, there's a dam at the outlet up north. Um, you know, so there is some level of control a little, uh, per se to the lake level. But, I mean, we were down a bit, but, you know, the topography of the lake or the, you know, the morphology of the lake, you know, we're not dealing with a lot of rocky shores, on the, at least on the southern basin. Um, we're not dealing with a lot of rocky shorelines or reefs and things like that where we have people have to worry about, you know, taking out lower units and that kind of stuff. So um, we didn't get that kind of complaint. And as you, as you mentioned, there's, there's, we still have a lot of water out there. Bill Talmudge is his name. He heads up the Bennett Area Fisheries Office. He is our resident Lake of the Woods expert, and we'll have a lot more with that. We'll have a lot more with Phil later on in the show, but up next we're going to check back in with Nate Blazing from the Walleye Alliance and talk about some of their legislative goals and where they're at. This is Fish and Palm Onion Country, presented by Northland Fishing Tech. If you're fascinated by what you're hearing today, Bemidji State University might be the place for you when it comes to college. They're located amid the lakes and forests of the Northwoods, and it's the only place in Minnesota where you can earn a four-year degree in aquatic biology. It's a state-of-the-art program on the shores of Lake Bemidji, giving you high-tech lakeside facilities and ample opportunity for research and a hands-on education. You can choose fisheries biology, aquatic systems, or wetlands ecology. An aquatic biology education at Minnesota's premier Northwoods University it's the right fit for you. Visit BemidjiState.edu. We are checking back in with Nate Blazing of the Walleye Lines. We talked to him some yesterday, and today we're going to get into some of the legislative things they've been involved in. Well, let's talk a little bit about one of the uh, the big uh, things that wa- the Walleye Alliance has been pushing, and, and you've worked with the statewide DNR on this. Uh, I know you've worked with uh, Senator Kerry Root on this quite a bit on the legislative side, and that's trying to get a statewide four-walleye limit. Let me just start with uh, your thoughts as a guy who's been on the water a long time and has spent a lot of time talking with the DNR. Um, why do you feel a four fish limit across the state is needed well i I feel it's needed just because again some of the concerns that i previously spoke about in terms of invasive species uh fishing pressure has increased over the last couple years um 
you know, the technology, that's a big piece that we talk about when, when we're talking about the, the limit reduction. Um, and the main thing is, and, and, and not everyone has agreed with this thought process. Again, I don't claim that we've got the solve all answer to that, but, um, when we came up with the four fish limit, we took previous angler surveys from the DNR and try to match that up with some of the, the numbers we're seeing on lakes in terms of walleye um, survival rates and electroshocking and all that good stuff. And, you know, if you got down to that three fish, two fish range is what you'd need to have, according to the DNR, a biological impact on walleye populations and lakes. So there's no argument about that. And I didn't really have a problem with that. The problem was, though, when you get down to that level, it seemed as though you lost, at least at the time of these surveys, you lost a lot of the sport from your, your average everyday angler. Mm-hmm. They didn't want to go out and think it was worth their time to, to keep two fish, whereas you know four fish seemed to be okay. So that was kind of the mark that got us to the four fish range. Again, a lot of that was a social change. We knew that, and I would still argue that if you're keeping four fish versus six fish, there are some fish being changed versus, you know, catch and release and all that kind of stuff. So bottom line is uh, we've been working on this project three years at the legislature, and it did not make it this year officially. Um, we actually had better luck last year. We had two <laughs> hearings in the Senate, none in the House. This year we did not get a hearing in the House or the Senate. So... Um, that was a little bit frustrating, but at the same time, you know, we've had a couple of weeks to kind of stew on this and think about it. And actually, I'm not near as frustrated as, as when we first found out, because I think as you saw and heard at our banquet, the main reason why we did this and, and going forward is I don't know what the magic answer is, but if you get people thinking about this, do you have to keep your limit? You know, can I take a picture of a fish and release it future generations are thinking a little differently in terms of i'd rather catch a fish take a picture and let it go Mm -hmm. um the other thing that kind of teams up with that at the legislative process right now is there's a huge push to improve the hatcheries throughout minnesota i think that might be you know if they can take care of that maybe we wouldn't have to make a limit reduction so you know there's different opinions on that when you talk to, and I'm not asking for any on the record, I'm not asking for any names of anybody, but when you're talking to different legislatures and uh, and uh, and others, sport sport anglers, um, how much pushback are you getting? Is it significant, or is there a lot of people that uh, are are fine with it? Well, you know, again, so before we went into this legislative push, we talked to. We started at the local level first and kind of got a, you know, litmus test about how much support is there for this? Do people want this? Overwhelmingly, yes. So then we branched out to um, resort owners, uh, lake associations. I think uh, Senator Ruta talked to the resort association. And then you mentioned Tom Newstrom. We talked with him and the uh, he talked to several people at his seminars. We talked with the DNR. So we kind of start branching out and getting at it, and we pretty much got the same feeling that I would still argue 90, 95% of the folks that we've talked to 
um, were in favor of some kind of a change. And so I would say there was definitely a smaller group of folks that were opposed to it, and they had their reasons, and I'm not saying they're wrong, because a group of them were retired DNR fishery staff. And again, I'm on record saying several times before, I respect the heck out of the DNR, the fishery guys, what they do. Um, But at the same time, when the current DNR was in favor of it, and you had retired folks that were opposed to it, that was a little odd or interesting, I guess. But I would still say the vast majority of people, and I think um, the DNR said that too, they've got the same feedback. The vast majority of people were for some kind of a change. So that's why I'm hopeful going forward, whatever that change may be, I think it's still on the table. It's just our legislative effort this year for the four fish limit over and done with. And I'm okay with that, truthfully. Okay. Um, it, it, one of the things you mentioned is is the changing landscape and, and technology. And, you know, I've been doing this show for a long time. I've talked to a lot of anglers over the years. And, you know, early in the uh, years of doing the show, when I would get to the, you know, mid-July through August, I dreaded it. I dreaded it because, first of all, there weren't that many people bass fishing. There weren't that many people fishing for other species like there are now. So you've got, you've got more possibilities to, to fill your showtime. But, I mean, it was, it was flat-out dead for walleye. I mean, people yep. just weren't catching walleye. We've gotten more sophisticated. We've learned more. Social media has allowed us to, to spend hours you know, scouring over every article there is. Our equipment's better. And there's never a time. I mean, it could be, you know, second week in August when it used to be the Dead Sea, there are people catching walleye. It takes more work, but it's being done. And so, yeah, more more walleyes are coming out of the lakes. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I would say, you know, what we used to consider your dog days of summer, your, your tough walleye months, mm-hmm. is actually some of your best walleye fishing. And... I don't want to give away too many secrets on here, but <laughs> so much of that is, especially with zebra mussels now, weed-oriented fish. Mm-hmm. Well, there's lots of weeds in a lot of these lakes, so where do you start? This new technology with the sonar, the forward-facing sonar, the 360, you can literally pick out the fish in the weeds. And so you cruise until you find them. You don't have to disturb them because you can see them 100 feet away, and that that's a big deal. So I should go back to, two one of the arguments when we were talking legislatively. You know, it was printed in some of the, the newspaper articles, you know, kind of that were going back on us. And one in particular said that they didn't think there was much change in boats and technology since the 80s, 90s. What? And <laughs> that, <laughs> you just said it. <laughs> you know, when you listen to Tony talk here at our banquet, he was just over at Green Bay, and he was talking about the, the Lowrance Active Target technology and how you can literally see how many fish are there, how they're reacting to your bait, and once you've got that kind of figured out, change your cadence, change your lure, your presentation, your speed, and boom, just like that, you put the puzzle piece together within a matter of, I don't know, an hour or something like that compared to before, you just say there's no fish here or they're not biting today. Not right. the case. This, if you know how to use the technology, I mean, it, it's super cool, but at the same time, to me, it's still super scary. And I'm just putting mine together here, <laughs> getting it ready for the boat. But uh, until people, I, I just don't think people you really understand 
what this can do for fishing for helping you out until you've actually seen it. And it's such new technology that there's, you know, we're not kidding anyone. There's a lot of people that have not been able to play with this technology yet. But once you have, it's unbelievable. So that's one of the main kind of concerns we have going forward with some of the limits as well. So that's one of the reasons we did this push. And and without getting all sociological on this, but, you know, we've heard warnings uh, just going beyond tech in the fishing world. We've heard warnings about, you know, kids watching too much TV, uh, all of the polarization due to social media. Um, you know, technology is affecting so many things negatively, but you can't put it back in the bottle. It's it's out. It's there. It's not going away. So it's not like people are just going to quit using it if they if they think it's tough on the fishery. Te- Technology is here, and it's not going away, and we have to adjust based on that. Yeah, and, you know, a lot of the guys that I fish with and guide with, you know, that have been doing it for 20, 30, 40 years, I guess longer than that, I've been doing it 20 years, but trying to get their hands wrapped around the technology and how fast this has changed. I mean, every year there's new technology, and they just keep making improvements. And, you know, I consider myself somewhat of a a younger angler, but I'm already hitting that wall with technology trying to keep up and feel like it's it's passing me by so you have to really spend some time to, to keep up on that and and to figure it out and if you do you know again several of the guys that i know that have been fishing with this technology the last couple of years whether it's in our local leagues or tournaments the results show for themselves these guys are at the top of the level every time with fish that they catch, fish that they can see, and they'll flat out say, we wouldn't have been anything close to this level if we didn't have that technology. So, again, I think the proof is in the pudding. And, again, I'm not saying it's a bad thing, but it's just absolutely when someone says, that's ah, the same as mapping or, or, you know, GPS, yeah, that was a big thing, but this is a really big thing. So we'll kind of wait for the next couple of years to see. But uh, one of the guys that I know – he does a lot of panfish fishing, and he said, especially for crappies and sunfish with the forward-facing sonar, you know, he said, if you get it dialed in and you know what you're doing, you figured like a 95% uh, success rate per cast, which you put that into perspective and how many people are doing that, that's a big deal. So just something to think about, I guess. Yeah. Well, let's let's just talk fishing, fun fishing stuff for a couple of minutes. Let's sure. as, Let's assume we are going to have open water. Uh, by May 14th, and, and you're out there. Are you a guy that starts right on the big water right away on Gull, or do you have some uh, favorite lakes you do early in the season? Uh, it, it somewhat varies. Um, I would say I'm usually on Gull or Whitefish. Uh, kind of, <laughs> in my head, I'm trying to say I'm staying away from the masses of people uh, as much as I can, but, you know, uh, I, I usually tend to those two end up on those two lakes. In the last couple of years, truthfully, there hasn't been near as many people as I would expect on opener. So, or, or else I'm just fishing different areas. I'm not quite sure on that. So I would say if I have the opportunity and we're ice-free, I'll probably be on gull. If there's ice around here, and I just talked to a buddy up in Duluth, I'll probably go up and visit him and fish the St. Louis River. I used to do that for several years when I lived up there, and that's always fun. But... Um, one way or the other, whether we have ice or not, <laughs> the water's going to be very cold, comparatively speaking. So, you know, Tony touched on this as well at the banquet, and we kind of put these puzzle pieces together the last five years that 
my advice would be to look a lot shallower than you normally think. And that's where we'll be starting. Um, once the shiners start running in the shallows, that's a key to pick up on. You're going to have walleyes, northerns, bass, everything chasing those around. So it's a little different fishing, but it's actually spring fishing has turned into probably as fun well, I look forward to it as much as the fall bite. So it's once you figure that stuff out, it, it's a really fun bite. So that's the plan at this point. Well, listen, if somebody wants to uh, use you and S&W uh, bait service or S&W guide service, how do they get set up? Sure. You can actually call the bait shop, which is 218-829-7010. And we actually just put together a new website. Uh, we combined with the legendary Nisswa Guide League, the, you know, Marv Capsule and all that kind of stuff. Um, so we just put together a new website that's up and live, and you can actually request dates through that, or there's contact information, so all that good stuff's on there. Otherwise, you can look myself up. I'm on Facebook, too. Uh, I think there's still an SMW Guide service on Facebook as well, but me blazing, and all that stuff will be on there, and you can find me pretty easy, I guess. So. <laughs> okay. All right. And and once again, Spring uh, Walleye Tournament, the Walleye Alliance Tournament, um, is on the 21st. Uh, If somebody wants to be a part of it, how do they get registered? Sure. Uh, Again, we've got the registration information on our Facebook, which is Walleye Alliance, Inc. Otherwise, you can give me a call or the bait shop a call. My phone number is 651-592-3857. And like I said, we are filling up fairly fast, a lot quicker than we did last year, so uh, there may come a point where we're just going to cut it off, because again, we want to keep this fairly small uh, at this point, and just kind of slowly grow it, so looking forward to it, but you got it right, May 21st, uh, there's 7-3 to three out of earnings on golf, so it's going to be a good event. If somebody listening to this uh, from another town says, you know, we should do a walleye alliance here, it, that's just a, it's a local group you've put together in the Brainerd Lakes area. Would you be willing to talk to somebody if they wanted to, some advice on how to get something like that going? Absolutely. And and when we started this group, we had that discussion. Do we want to be our own group? Do we want to be a chapter of another group? How do we want to do it? And the way we came up with it was, again, starting point here in Brainerd, but we did leave it open where if we wanted or others wanted to do chapters of a wall alliance, we'd absolutely be you know, very open to that conversation as long as they wanted to have the same mission statement and kind of ideas. But at this point, it's, it's advocacy, you know, just making people aware of, of stocking efforts, jibs, fishing, um, that kind of stuff. So if, I think those ideas align with a lot of anglers at this point. So absolutely, if there's a, an area of folks that would like to do it, if, even if they had a little difference, more than willing to share our experiences and what worked and what was challenging and things you do differently. We're more than happy to have that conversation any day. He's Nate Blazing from the Walleye Alliance and SW Guide Service. Nate, always great to have you on the show. Thanks for taking the time today. Thanks much, Kevin. It's always a pleasure chatting fishing with you. When we return, we continue our less than three hour tour of Lake of the Woods. Bill Talmadge is back on Fish and Paul Bunyan Country, presented by Northland Fishing Tackle.
When planning your trip up north, plan to park your RV or camper at the spacious Grand Haven RV Campground in Bemidji. You'll be in the perfect area to ride ATV, fish, hunt, and hike. With free parking for your boats and trailers and located just off Highway 2 west of Bemidji, Grand Haven Campground is the center point for your next Northland adventure. Fish hundreds of surrounding lakes and cruising the miles and miles of the ATV trails northern Minnesota has to offer. Visit GrandHavenCampground.com and book your stay today. Phil Talmadge is the area fisheries supervisor out of the Budette Area Fisheries Office. He oversees Lake of the Woods, and that's what the spotlight is on today as we continue to get ready for the opener. And we know, Phil, there's a ton of walleye on Lake of the Woods, but you've also got plenty of bass. I know there's uh, some great bass fishing on that lake. There's great pan fishing. There's muskies tooling around big northerns. Pretty much everything on Lake of the Woods. Yeah, yep, everything you mentioned. You just got to know where to go. I mean, some of the species are, you know, less common in, in certain areas. And, uh, you know, and the other one, even, you know, don't forget about lake trout up in some of the Canadian right. areas and uh, or portions of the lake. And I'll add that I was talking to uh, uh, one of our resort owners and, uh, the other day, and he said they had uh, they had a customer that was fishing, ice fishing out there, and uh, he ended up coming up with a, a lake trout. So um, there, there's... Uh, there's a lot, a lot of different species, and you know, in for each species, it's pretty darn good. We, of course, most you know Minnesotans will see a, a map of Minnesota, the the chimney on top, and Lake of the Woods pretty much covering it up. Um, but if you look at a, a at an actual map and you look to the Ontario side, and that lake just keeps going, going, and going. As much water as we have in Minnesota from Lake of the Woods, what percentage is uh, is that of the entire lake? We have about a third of the lake. That's so we it. Have actually, yeah, it's we, it's it's almost a million around a million acres, and we have a we have about a third of that in Minnesota, and yeah, you know it's it's it's, it's interesting because when you actually look really closely at the lake, you can see that a lot of the Minnesota waters are is a, a big wide open area. That's what we call Big Traverse is the bay, and yeah. uh, um, you know once you get out of Big Traverse and you start heading north, you go through. A, more Canadian Shield type waters uh, in landscape, so it's 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 it, the lake's actually very different as you start moving north. But uh, it's a and there's a lot of islands, and uh, it, it's uh, it's it's a pretty <laughs> diverse lake from from top to bottom and east to west, if you will. Absolutely. Now, obviously, you you need to work well with uh, with your friends in in Ontario, and I think uh, probably even Manitoba. I think there's a little bit in Manitoba, uh, so you have to work with those guys uh, together. I'm guessing. Yep, we do. We cooperate and share data. Um, you know, with our with our uh, Canadian counterparts. Uh, not Manitoba hasn't been involved as much uh, in the in the management of the fishery as Ontario, but our Ontario counterparts. You know, we do. Uh, you know, we, we do share information and, you know, with, with COVID, everything has been a lot more limited and there's been a, kind of a gap in that communication. And we're really looking forward as things start opening up here to be able to uh, rejuvenate the, the, those relations and, you know, get back to sharing data and meeting with our, with our counterparts over there. You mentioned the lake trout. Anything else uh, on the Canadian side that's significantly different from what you can catch on the Minnesota side? Yeah, you know, I mean, I would, I would say that, you know, the, the lake trout and black crappies are the two things that are, that really stick out to me that, you know, you can, that people target more often on the, 
uh, or exclusively on the Canadian side versus the Minnesota side. You know, in recent years, we have been seeing more black crappies showing up in angler reports and even getting a few more of them in some of our sampling efforts. Uh, and actually, this, this spring, we plan on getting out there and kind of trying to trying to see if there is some kind of a change going on out there, and we're actually starting to see if we, if we can actually figure out the, the crappies and whether they're down here spawning or whether they're just moving through when people are catching them. Uh, bass is another species that, you know, uh, a lot of the bass fishing is along the, uh, for smallmouth bass. So we have the, the northwest angle has a lot of opportunity for, for bass fishing up there. But then also as you move into the Canadian shield waters of the Ontario side as well, uh, you find more bass fishing opportunities too. What kind of pressure did you see on Lake of the Woods this winter? You know, pressure was down just a bit, um, from what it had been the last, the, the past couple of years. Um, and, you know, but still we're, we're at, we're at historically high levels of pressure. Over the past three years, we've seen the three highest, uh, um, we've seen the three highest, uh, uh, we've seen our three highest estimates of pressure over oh, okay. the past three years. Hmm. Um, but it doesn't seem to be hurting it too much. No, I mean, no, I, I you know, the, the increase that we've seen in pressure hasn't resulted in a, in a proportionate increase in, in harvest. Actually, you know, it's, it's been, we've seen lower catch rates for harvest rates, uh, during those, during those past couple of years. And, you know, so the way to look at it kind of is there's a piece of pie, there's, there's a pie sitting out there that, of the number of fish that people are going to harvest in any given year. And it's just being distributed amongst more people is kind of the way it, the way it's working out. So um, we have not seen we're we're actually below our target harvest goals right now, which is good. We're just a titch below, and um, so we're at you know we're we're comfortable with the amount of the pounds of fish that are coming out of there. So uh, are you getting more pressure uh, during hard water season or soft water season? Hard water season you know, is, is definitely more pressure. Okay. You know, if you think, you know, up until the 2000s, I think it was fairly 50-50-ish on winter and versus summer. Uh, since 2000, we, when we first hit a million angling hours in the winter, uh, we've watched it exponentially grow up into recent years being closing in on 3 million angling hours. Our summer pressure is more in that 750 to 800,000 angling hours. And it's pretty consistent, so um, I think it's more limited by the number, by where how many how many cabins are, are out there and uh, uh, camper spaces, that kind of stuff. Sure, um, so that's where we've seen the growth on is in the winter fishery. Boy, that's uh, and, and you're not the only lake that's done that. That's for sure. Um, it, there's <laughs> it's it's increased dramatically, and a lot of it is those those big wheelhouses. Of course, we found out this winter here in South. Uh, those big wheelhouses are great, but if you can't get them on the lake, <laughs> they, they don't do a lot for you. No, and I, you know, and I, that's a good point, and I, and I think that's actually been kind of something that may be influencing things. Is we have such a such a such a good road structure up here on the ice, you know, with resort owners and operators, uh, you know, put plowing ice roads and you know doing a really good job at that. Um, and then the way the last few winters have broke down, there's been a few times where we've been the only only game, only show in town as far as being able to get out there and get around. Yep. Um, and, and so I, I and I do so I I do think that's played, you know, played a role in all this. And I mean, no doubt there's more wheelhouses out there than there used to be. Um, 
but I, I think that we're seeing some other other influences as well. I I can't remember. Do you have AIS issues on your lake? Yeah, we certainly do. You know, we we've had some long-standing AIS. You know, we had rainbow smelt and rusty crayfish here. Uh, they've both been here for a really long time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, probably over thirty, forty years. Um, the 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 two bigger ones that we're cons- that we have concerns about now are with spiny water flea. They've been here since the late mid to late two thousands, and uh, then the zebra mussels we just recently captured in Lake of the Woods uh, three summers ago. So. Uh, actually, we captured the villagers, and uh, we haven't actually found a, an adult zebra mussel yet. Uh, but we're pretty certain that they're out there, as we're seeing. You know, we've had a few times where we've seen pretty substantial numbers of villagers or the the larval or immature zebra mussels out there. So we have a lot. We have, the, you know, the, that's probably the biggest threat that I would say that we have out there is the potential for impacts from those and. The changes that, that could potentially take place in the, within the lake as a result of those two species. What would you, if you had to predict, what would you predict would be the biggest changes that uh, zebras could cause? Well, you know, I mean, in, in a lot of water bodies, they have, you know, I mean, they've they've changed they've changed how the fish behave, especially mm-hmm. right. They, yep. um, you know, they clear the water up, allow light penetration. They turn it into, you know, in, into nighttime fisheries. Um, so it changes the, the fish behavior a lot, it, and it changes where the energy's uh, taken up. So, you know, here we have a pretty vast, you know, we call it offshore area where where fish spend quite a bit of time. The zebra mussels would have they have the tendency of pulling the energy. They they, they change. They're going to change a lot of behavior, and and undoubtedly, you know, when you start messing it with with some with those. System ecosystem at the bot base of the food web, um, it it just it works its way all the way up. So there, there's a lot of there's a lot of potential for how it how it can interact. But what we we do know is we'd see more more food and availability in the near shore area, and the offshore areas would be impacted. And we have a lot of on, offshore areas uh, on Lake of the Woods, obviously with our deeper water. So. Um, we what we're hoping for, though, you know, in the sense of the zebra mussels, what we're hoping for is um, we've been monitoring our, our our water chemistry, and you know, we're kind of right at and or below the the, the amount of calcium they need to be able to do really well in in a, in a lake. So we're hoping that we're we're our natural water quality is a little bit prohibitive of the species. Uh, the other thing, as we were talking about earlier with those lake sturgeon, we have a, a very robust lake sturgeon population out there. And there are examples out there in other parts of the country where lake sturgeon have actually, when zebra mussels become established, they actually target zebra mussels and go out there and they're trying to consume zebra mussels. And in some of those systems, they actually keep their numbers uh, well below uh, what what they would be if the sturgeon weren't there. So I guess they they can have they have the potential to impact uh, how that how big the population of zebra mussels becomes. So we're hoping we got a few things working in our favor. Uh, so, but one way or another, I'd rather not have had those <laughs> those concerns. But sure. uh, we will be monitoring things very closely as they progress. But it doesn't sound like uh, you've noticed anything significant to this point. At this point in time, we have not seen it uh, become a big, have big impacts on our sport fishery. 
you know, we've seen some changes in certain parts of our of our, our lake for sure. We've seen our zooplankton community make an entire shift uh, as a result of the spiny water fleas. So what we have not seen that result in reduced growth rates of our of our small walleye yet. Um, and you know, we've seen some kind of changes in our in our uh, forage base as well over over the over the past fifteen years. So th- there has been some changes we've seen. But it has not. It really hasn't. At this point in time, hasn't worked its way up and made any had any big impacts on our on our walleye sog or pike or sturgeon fisheries. All right, taking a snapshot in this moment in time, Professor Talmage, what is uh, Lake of the Woods grade at the moment? I, I would I would say Lake of the Woods is sitting at a at at, at an A minus, and I think you know the reason being we have uh, the reason I say A minus we have a couple year classes as I mentioned earlier that are are down a little bit but we have some strong ones coming and uh, there's always room for improvement so I'm going to go with an A minus. All right Phil Talmadge is the area fishery supervisor out of the Bennett office we talked uh, rainy we talked uh, Lake of the Woods and a few other things too. Phil always great being able to check in with you thanks for taking the time today. Thank you Kevin have a great day. We'll wrap up the first week of Fish and Paul Bunyan Country tomorrow with another gem in the spotlight, and that is Leech Lake. Carl Peterson, the Large Lake Specialist out of the Walker Area Office, will have the details. That's it for today. I'm Kev Jackson. Thank you for being here. Now we go on fishing. This has been the Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Podcast. Sponsored by Visit Bemidji and Grand Haven Campground. The Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Podcast is also sponsored by Bemidji State University and Northwest Technical College. And don't forget, you can listen to Fish and Paul Bunyan Country on KB101 FM and KBUN Sports Radio 104.5 weekdays, as well as Paul Bunyan Country Outdoors Saturday mornings on KBUN Sports Radio 104.5, B93.3 in Brainerd Baxter, and Kick FM in Alexandria.